And what we have going on right now, like 2008, we have a financial problem, but we also have an economic problem. And that is that all our businesses are shut down and nobody's working. Um, and, and so those two things, as, as the theme of our discussion today, interconnectedness, they're, they're definitely interconnected and related. This is Canadian Market Watch, the podcast where your co-hosts, Jim Check and George Sanders, dive into the economy of Canada with industry experts. They cover mining, oil and gas, forestry, agriculture, manufacturing, and everything in between. Asking lots of questions, tough questions. If it's impacting the Canadian economy, they're talking about it. Well, here we are, George. It's now April. We've got through March, and uh, March was a tough month, and uh, April is likely to be a tougher month. And and you were saying just before we went on here that uh, the rent checks are now due in April. Well, Wednesday, Jim, uh, the uh, mainstream American financial business media uh, reported that $81 billion was due in rent just this past Wednesday, and that would be uh, residential rent, industrial, and commercial rent. And so we don't have any information on whether or not uh, all of that got paid or most of it got paid or some of it got deferred or, or whatever, but clearly there's a lot of conversation um, about uh deferring rent or not paying rent and uh giving people uh, a break on their rent and um you know obviously uh we recognize why that that might be important um but i think what we were going to chat about a little bit today is how everything's interconnected and there are consequences to other places in the economy uh, as a result of our actions to address uh, certain issues or or downfalls. And so we have this issue that people have been put out of work. The unemployment rate has has skyrocketed. Uh, There are rents due. Uh, In many urban centers in North America, uh, rents are particularly high. And although us here in Kelowna, we're not a particularly big urban center, but rents relative to incomes are extremely high here. So some kind of rent relief is is terrific, but uh, simple moral suasion or indeed legislation to uh, enforce a rent holiday, there's other consequences to that in our interconnected world. And, you know, if we think through just some of those things, uh, that means that the property owners and the property uh, and and their lenders, the property financiers, uh, it means those payments don't get made on that side. So, so yes, the person renting the basement suite that perhaps was a, a lower income person in the service economy and they've been laid off. Uh, they require some relief. But 
somebody owns that house, right? Somebody owns that apartment building. Somebody owns that complex. And more often than not, that's been highly levered and debt financed. And so as those payments don't get made, it's connected down the chain. Um, one of the things that I know you and I have talked about as a deep concern is that the Canadian banking system is very overexposed to Canadian residential and commercial real estate. And so as those debt service uh, payments aren't made because the end user isn't making them, there's a serious consequence. Um, not suggesting that we're going to go into bank failure in this, com uh, in this country, but certainly if that's the, mo the, that's the area of highest exposure by the Canadian banks and we find that people just don't have the money to make their rental payments, um, and this isn't just people in residence, obviously, this is small businesses, um, and even larger, uh, medium-sized businesses that tend to be the people who uh, pay the industrial rent on warehouses and, uh, and big industrial parks and the like. So as that whole series of payments doesn't get made, it then becomes a lend the issue is for the lender and, and not for the person unable to make the payment. And the consequences of that in terms of uh, the banking system shutting down or being altered in some way are uh, are quite staggering. Um, and again, using the same example of, uh, you know, we know a lot of uh, friends and, and maybe neighbors in, in this city who have got into uh, playing in a fairly robust real estate market. And so people have bought uh, second homes for rental income, and some of them who have been at it for a few years have third and fourth rental uh, income homes and uh, a little real estate portfolio. And that's been terrific and has been working very well for them. But if the end uh, tenants of those places stop making payments for one or two or five or six months, the lender still needs their payments. The mortgages on those places are still due. And so that becomes uh, a spiral. Instead of an upward spiral, it becomes a downward spiral. And eventually you're going to get a serious correction to the valuation of real estate, which is forced on the market um, as a debt liquidation activity rather than a profit-taking activity. So those are kind of some of the interconnected um, things. Obviously, on that residential side, uh, a bunch of property maintenance is not going to get done if rents aren't being paid. And as this example, Jim, I'm, I'm not suggesting that, that we don't look to, to do rental relief. I think that's a great idea. It might just be a different way uh, that it can get done so that it doesn't cascade through this interconnected system. Yeah, I think the bigger worry if all of a sudden a bunch of foreclosures happen, like let's say it's four, five, six months down the road, and property values start to drop, which causes more problems. And I think you, you were mentioning earlier the Airbnb market in the States. There's a ton of people holding a lot of properties 
just for Airbnb, yeah, the, which is kind of shut down right now. The, or the is super, the super hosts. Yeah. So, so if you're somebody who rents your room seasonally, uh, you're okay probably. But if you, uh, if you're a Airbnb is your primary business and you own four or five or six different condos. Uh, and or smaller houses and that you you count on renting those out in order to make your your mortgage payments and that's dried up that real estate is coming on the market probably sooner than later and so what are the consequences of that and and who as a result of that i'm thinking uh uh janitorial services uh these kinds of uh um, you know, urban fix-it people, uh, the, these kind of small businesses, they all get affected negatively by that as well. And we're also interconnected. I've watched a bunch of video this weekend on uh, dairy farmers in New Jersey dumping milk because they have no place to send it. And obviously, you got to keep milk on the cows because you, you can't stop. So they're dumping it in the fields. And, you know, obviously, if they're dumping in the fields, you're not getting money for it either. And there's a bunch of people worried about crops in the field because the migrant workers aren't being allowed to come across the border. So then they don't know who's going to put the crop in the field. And I think we're having the same issues here right now as well. So the time frame, um, and again, if you don't put the crop in the field in the spring, it's not like you can put it in the summer because the, the weather just doesn't work like that. In uh, in Saskatchewan, they used to or they have a saying uh, for uh, successful people in the farming business. They call them AAA farmers, and that stands for April, August, and Arizona. And mm-hmm. uh, and and but April is the time when the crop goes in the ground. So right now, yeah, you know, right now over the next. Uh, the next 30 to 45 days is, is prime planting season and people have to make decisions around that. Absolutely. And, and, you know, the, the, the sad part of that for our Canadian agriculture uh, industry is um, which is, you know, driving tractors and trucks and machinery. Um, we go ahead and institute a carbon tax at at the same time as we may have concerns a few months down the road about our our food supply and our own internal ability uh to to meet those issues so uh very very complicated and and very complex but as you say in, interconnected and you know meantime for that new jersey dairy farmer um his cow needs to be fed every day mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I've seen some good stuff happening out there. I've seen like the premier of Ontario, Doug Ford, you know, rolling up his sleeves and there's masks to be delivered and, and they didn't have trucks to deliver. So he just jumped in his own pickup and went and delivered them. And uh, he's, he, he had a message out there, I think yesterday on, on Twitter that said, we will not ever allow Ontario and Canada to be held hostage by a president or a prime minister. He had some pretty stern words there when, um, yeah. Uh, Donald Trump said there's no masks for Canada. I mean, a lot of people can understand what he's saying, but also, you know, at the same time, wonder where that leaves us. And I, I know 3M is juggling with that as well as they're kind of saying, hey, they've been our partners forever, and all of a sudden we're being ordered not to send masks. So, you know, the, the CEO was saying, like, I've been asked to play God, but 
um, on who decide like who gets what and uh, those are scary times right and and obviously the Americans have some you know might behind them well I, I again as we've said in in earlier discussions uh, these challenges are uh, clear and present they're they're in front of us they're happening literally as we live as we speak uh, and so we can we can get into a state of despair or we can look for ways to uh, meet those challenges maybe maybe alleviate some of them or perhaps just uh, uh, lighten the load a little and I think that starts with just some creative thinking and you know you and I were, were talking the other day uh, just about this very issue of things being interconnected and so so if you say okay you don't need to make rent payments fair enough but what are some of the other implications of that um, down the road and 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 we're seeing that and and an implication you know the the Americans say America first and you know if if I lived there I would say thank you for that leadership that's outstanding um, but one of the consequences is that your best neighbor and 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 ally, uh, longtime customer, business partner, uh, doesn't get the supply that they're counting on. Um, and uh, I think we're going to so, see. So the a, thing, uh, yeah, go ahead. No, I think we're going to see a big shift from globalism to nationalism for sure. And I guess it's great for provinces like Ontario, where they have a lot of manufacturing. I think a lot of it's going to come home, and it's going to be supported by by government, where we secure our supplies and make sure that we're doing the right stuff. And I think the same should be said for energy that's going on right now. We should be securing Alberta energy and 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 making it a national security issue, as opposed to hoping that they you know disappear. I, I, there there's a few groups out there right now really pushing hard about saying to let them kind of die and I, I <laughs> and I and I wonder if they're really um considering all the factors that go with that and the, and considering all the people that will suffer from it as well 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 exactly and and you know again uh we're you you and I particularly but but people that are saying hey this is this is a valuable and important and indeed backbone industry in our country, uh, the production of, of energy, uh, and and we need to maintain that. We're we're not denying or or um, uh, moving away from uh, any um, move towards renewable energy. I think everybody everybody in the sector sees that renewable energy is definitely the wave of the future but part of the problem with this ideology is the the world is cast in this binary view yes no black white right wrong one or the other and the fact of the matter is that we're going to need conventional energy in order to allow ourselves the time to develop uh, an economic um, uh, renewable energy infrastructure, 
And anybody in that business will tell you the major roadblock right now is in battery storage. Uh, we know there's been huge improvements in wind and solar, and that stuff works just fine. But the delivery of it on a consistent basis because of the bottleneck at battery, uh, of battery storage has not yet been solved. Um, and so we're still going to require uh, something that we do really well in Canada, uh, which is generate that energy. And, you know, we also discussed earlier uh, the tax spinoff from all of that can easily fund uh, increased work, uh, research and development and engineering uh, to perfect perhaps a made in Canada uh, energy storage and distribution breakthrough. Yeah, no, for sure. I think if you take the profits from the oil and turn them into research and development and and do all those good things, that uh, that'll naturally happen because that's just how our capitalist system works, right? Like a better a better solution is always better. And um, but at a time like this, I think Canadians need to pull together as opposed to being divisive. And I think that's what we're seeing. So, like I said, I'm seeing some good stuff from um, what's going on in Alberta. Jason Kenney's calling on most of the businesses to step up, and a lot of them have stepped up, and of you know uh, bringing supplies to to four for the hospitals and and what have you, and who can do what. And um, they've actually got a website set up that says, "Hey, if you're a company, if you got some stuff, access to stuff, fill it out on here, and let's let's work together." Well, in, in, in our culture, so not just Canada and, and the Canadian uh, sort of cultural fabric, which is really developed out of moving into the frontier and being able to uh, inhabit uh, land that isn't always uh, totally uh, friendly to, to you. And, and that's sort of the Canadian spirit, but it's very much similar to uh, the American entrepreneurial spirit. And it's times like it's times like this that really require the people who have those abilities, whether they're learned or innate, it doesn't matter, uh, to to step up and and search for solutions. And uh, I, uh, so I think you're absolutely right about that. And, you know, really, it doesn't matter who gets the credit for it. And it doesn't matter uh, if a few people actually make a lot of money doing this. Uh, we, we, need, we need all sorts of new things. And we need to, we need to rethink, I, I believe, all sorts of our, um, uh, this interconnectivity and how we go about uh, inhabiting the downtown cores of urban centers and the suburban uh, transportation systems and all of that. This is, this is a good time uh, to be looking at those solutions in an urgent manner uh, because we're forced to. We're forced to. And uh, uh, I think there's a, a lot of good opportunity there um, if, if we can adjust our mindset towards uh, thinking through all the ramifications of any given solution 
and uh, what those outcomes might be. So one of the questions that I had, though, is that I've been pondering as well. So we recognize that when we print a lot of money, and they've been printing a lot of money, almost every country is printing a lot of money. It's kind of like a monopoly game right now. But if everybody's in the game and everybody's printing money, isn't it just kind of like we just increase the pie and it's not really going to be that detrimental to the, to the money itself? Or, or how do you see that? Do you know what I mean? Like if, if we're all saying if, if you know, Russia started printing money like crazy, we would devalue their currency and, and it would go down. But if everybody prints money at the same time, isn't it just up the game? Or, or, or what happens other than just high inflation? Well, well, well to... to uh, I share a perspective with some economists that are much more uh, learned and articulate in this matter. Uh, but what we have going on right now is the early stages of a debt liquidation cycle. And so that's, that's very deflationary. There's a destruction of some of that capital. Not all of it. Sometimes it just changes hands but certainly there's a destruction of some capital. So that's a very deflationary thing. And our central banks and our governments, um, our, and, and that, is a, that is a financial issue. And what we have going on right now, like 2008, we have a financial problem, but we also have an economic problem. And that is that all our businesses are shut down and nobody's working. Um, and, and so those two things, as, as the theme of our discussion today, interconnectedness, they're, they're definitely interconnected and related. So what we have as we speak, and particularly uh, the month of March, is very deflationary. That's the first phase of the debt liquidation cycle. Uh, some are arguing uh, that it's abated a little bit, but we're probably going to get a second, third, and perhaps even fourth wave of that. The central banks and governments are trying to combat that because they're deathly afraid of that because that has the, ninth, the dirty 30s written all over it. And so uh, there's this huge uh, money creation basically out of thin air. Uh, ultimately, that is highly inflationary. We may not see that happen for six months, uh, a year. I happen to think it, it's going to be a little sooner than that just because of the pace of, of the money creation. Uh, but definitely that gets to the point where uh, your loaf of bread uh, the place, the local uh, grocer where I like to shop has a nice whole wheat bread that they sell that they make in-house for $1.69 a loaf. Uh, you go into a highly inflationary environment and a year down the road, that's $16.90 uh, uh, an, uh, an ounce, uh, uh, a loaf of bread. Obviously, that's an exaggeration on my part. But you, you, you will get that kind of uh, inflation because the purchasing power of your dollar has eroded, so it takes more dollars to buy uh, the same uh, good or service. And 
a lot of commentators and anybody listening to this probably knows they have their own favorites. They know how to find these folks. Um, you know, lots of them are just opinions, but some of them are some pretty thorough analysis uh, that suggests that if this continues unabated, we're going to have to go through some kind of a reset. Um, does that mean uh, a new currency? Does that mean um, government-sponsored central bank-issued cryptocurrencies? Does it mean some kind of return to a gold standard or a, a, a partial pegging to a hard asset uh, like gold or like energy? Um, so all these things are now on the table that used to be hypothetical discussions, they're now real-world discussions. It's not saying that any one of those things is going to be adopted, but they need to be considered, and it's exactly for the reason that you say, is we're creating so much new money to meet these deflationary forces uh, that eventually that's going to seriously erode the purchasing power of all paper currencies. Yeah, so we're, the inter interconnectivity that we have, it, we really haven't seen too much of the shortages yet, probably because we're using up whatever warehouse capacity that was kicking around out there, because if lots of stuff is shut down, we're bound to see that happen even when factories come back on stream, because there's there's that lagging that happens through as they deplete warehouse storage space and stuff like huge, that. Huge, huge lag time, you're right. And then, you know, like containers coming from overseas and all that kind of stuff. So it's going to take quite a bit, even if even if we could find an end date, which we don't have, to start the engine up again. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's it's not going to be as easy as people think. Like, if even if they found a cure tomorrow, just to fire it all back up is, is going to be a lot harder than people think. And then some industries will come up faster than others, for sure. But Well, um, that, yeah, 100%. But that's just on the economic crisis side. That's not on the financial crisis side. Mm -hmm. And so we've got these we got these two different, very related, very much overlapping, but still also separate issues. And you know, m many of us, and I, I I say that talking with you conversationally because you and I have had this discussion for so long, so many times, but the whole world is way over-levered, way, way over-levered. And that has created what a lot of people are calling the everything bubble. Mm -hmm. You know, luxury real estate, which has gone almost no bid, uh, regular higher and middle-end real estate, which has dragged up the prices of lower-end real estate. We certainly see that in Kelowna. Um, and uh, goods and services and everything's uh, financial assets, everything's been in a bubble. And one of the painful, but I would say necessary and ultimately good things about a financial crisis is that it allows price and value to meet. And many people have argued that price has been way out in excess of value. And so now we'll have a, a meeting or at least a convergence of price with value. 
Um, and that's going to be painful for a lot of a lot of investors, particularly. And you know, so so be it. And and again, I, I say so be it as one of those people, and recognizing that there are consequences for the haircut that has to be taken by well-heeled investors. You know, that's not without consequences. Also, um, if and and you just boil that down to the personal household level, um, the spending habits are going to change dramatically. You know, maybe. Uh, Maybe you have to go out and buy a used lawnmower right. to to cut your own grass now because you or, can't or grow a garden. Yeah, you know stuff stuff like that. And uh, and again, you know the the poor landscape guy that used to come uh, once a week to cut your grass. Uh, he has one less client. Mm-hmm. One of the things I do want to add here is because we we mainly talk about economics and and money and finances and that. I do want uh, people to know that both of us have daughters that are in the in the hospital industry in the nursing, and um, we are definitely um, connected to that world as well. But we're not pretending to be anybody that can have any solutions for that. So our, I mean, we're relying on the people that have more knowledge than us in that in that field to solve that issue. We can't do anything about that. We're just trying to say how do we how do we get out of this financially when we do find an end date. I just want to make sure that's said so somebody doesn't say we're being insensitive about about talking about finances when there's a bigger crisis going on. Uh, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. And and again, the the idea of you and I talking and maybe some people picking it up and listening to it is not necessarily what what Jim thinks and what George thinks, we're just trying to have a conversation that helps facilitate others to have similar conversation with their friends and acquaintances and family members uh, with a view to taking everything that's going on seriously and looking for ways to, you know, protect your family and, uh, you, you know, you, you talk about um, both our daughters. A little bit of a background is uh, the, the, the two daughters uh, from have been, you know, close friends since, since grade one in school, and both are nurses, and they're, they're on the front lines. And just before we started this uh, conversation, um, I had sent all three kids, uh, my own kids, all three of them, an email because they're all renters of places that have nice, sizable yards. And I suggested to them that they ask of their landlords if it's okay for them to plant gardens. Um, because if we do get a disruption, uh, as you say with the lag time, Jim, if we do get a disruption, um, to some food supply, uh, minor probably, uh, you know, they have some potatoes and carrots and beets and, and whatever in the garden that at least they have something to eat. Right. And we hope it doesn't come to that, but I do believe that gardening will be a, a big thing this, this summer. And, um, and I know that even back in the, 
when Obama was in the White House, they were talking about how people should be prepared to have gardens in their backyard and secure their own food supply. Well, it's a, it's a, uh, to me, it's a no-lose scenario, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people, when they get into it, they actually enjoy working with the soil. They enjoy doing the gardening stuff. There's more information than you could possibly ever assimilate uh, on the Internet as to uh, if you've never done it before, uh, w- what you need to do. Uh, and if we never get a single disruption in anything and everything goes back, you haven't lost anything, you know, and, and and if you're quarantined right now or you're you're in, engaging in your your social distancing and you're staying at home, it, it's a great way to pass time and and there's no downside to it. it. It's it's kind of the same as you know having a bunch of your savings outside the banking system. You know, you haven't lost that money. You've just switched it from one account to the other. Instead of being in the savings account, it's in the under the mattress account. Uh, you haven't spent the money. It hasn't gone anywhere. It's just in case we run into a bank holiday uh, that you've got a little cash that you can use if the ATMs are down for a week. And, and, not, uh... saying, not saying that that's going to happen at all. But but if it were to, you're prepared for it. And if it never doesn't, if it never happens, you still have that cash available for future spending. So you haven't lost anything. And with the garden, most of that cost on the garden is your time, and most people have a lot of it right now. So that's exactly right. And uh, you know, in the worst case scenario, is you have some healthy vegetables, or you can eat feed the bugs outside if if nothing else. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> it all goes back to the earth. So I, I think, and, and Canadian Market Watch and, and agriculture is part of the market. So you could just have a home-based agriculture system there. And it teaches, if you have kids, it teaches, teaches kids some very good skills on, on how to grow and um, produce your own, your own food. I think we're going to, uh, I think we're going to see uh, a real um, explosion in, whether you call it, home agriculture or, uh, or mini agriculture, urban agriculture. I mean, that trend was, that trend was already uh, accelerating before all of this happened. And, and I, think, uh, I, I think you're right, Jim, that that's going to be an area that uh, uh, is going to be of interest to a lot of people because the barriers to get into it are, are pretty minimal. Well, you remember our age group. Um Probably the vast majority of our parents had gardens um, in the small town I grew up in. I think almost ninety percent of people had gardens because we used to go out and raid them at night. Yep. But um, yeah, gardens were a big deal, and I think you know for the last little while they haven't been because people a don't have the land or the time to deal with it. But um, I th- I think they may become uh, relevant again. And, well, and- the la- the last fi- the last fifteen years in many many places in North America, and you are you've seen the emergence of what they call community gardens. Mm-hmm. And you know, between my house and your house, there's one such community garden there um, yep. on on that corner. And uh, I think uh, I think you're going to see more and more of those things. And and from the municipal and provincial government level or state government uh, government if you're listening to this in in the US um, that's an easy legislative fix to make sure that those kinds of, of 
unused um, land become available for community gardens um, and so that, you know, there isn't a bylaw officer coming down and ripping all the plants out. So what the city of Victoria did um, in their last uh, council meeting is they passed a bylaw that uh, they're going to utilize some of the parks as uh, gardens and they're going to utilize the staff that's, you know, not being used because the parks are closed to plant the gardens. So that seems like a good way to get uh, food and in, in keeping the staff working as well. Well, hats off, uh, hats off to that council for coming up with that. That's a great idea. Yeah, and I think because there's, there's a lot of parkland and um, there's a lot of probably parks people that aren't you know, needed right now to do different things. So they can probably pick up a hoe and uh, see if they can get some produce in the ground. That's probably, uh, we're probably, we're on 40 minutes now, so we'll probably wrap it up here, and, and uh, we're still working on getting some guests, so if you, if you want to be part of the show, you know, reach out, and uh, we have uh, our producer reaching out as well now, too, so um, the website's up, and uh, it looks great, too, so working away at it. We, uh, uh, we welcome anybody's uh, input or comment, and once again, we're... We're not trying to put our own agenda in front of anybody. We're, we're just looking to stimulate ideas and conversation. So talk to you soon. All right, bye now. And that has been another episode of Canadian Market Watch. Thanks for listening. To hear future episodes, please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you'd like to provide feedback, ask us a question, or be a future guest on the show, please email podcast at canadianmarketwatch.com. You can also connect with the show on Instagram and Facebook at Canadian Market Watch or on Twitter at CDN Market. Join the discussion. This episode has been brought to you by Nowcast, a division of the Now Media Group and has been produced by the Nomadic Podcaster.